الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في الكلام المجيد والفرقان الحميد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الذين امنوا من يرتد منكم عن دينه فسوف ياتي الله بقوم يحبهم ويحبونه يحبهم ويحبونه اذله على المؤمنين اعزه على الكافرين يجاهدون في سبيل الله ولا يخافون لومه لائم ذلك فضل الله يؤتيه من يشاء والله واسع عليم وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كل امتي يدخلون الجنه الا من ابى قيل ومن يابى يا رسول الله قال من اطاعني دخل الجنه ومن عصاني فقد ابى وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من تشبه بقوم فهو منهم او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم most respected ulama ikram brothers and elders any person in the medical field and for that matter any person who has some insight into basic health matters would understand that the most important aspect is the correct diagnosis and if the diagnosis has been done the person has been diagnosed then there is a chance that he will take some treatment sometimes it happens a person is suffering from a very serious ailment but because nothing has surfaced he is not suffering from any of the symptoms outwardly or because he doesn't understand the symptoms he doesn't take any steps to treat himself and sometimes later suddenly he collapses something happens and then they discover this was a very serious problem that was within within him for a long time so the important thing is a diagnosis today we hope to diagnose ourselves in one particular aspect the topic that we have on hand and this will inshallah make us concerned about the treatment every human being there is an inborn need within him that he wants to he has a sense of belonging he wants to belong somewhere and this is something which is natural but for a mu'min he has been given the guidance of what his sense of belonging should take him to inna salati wa nusuki wa mahyaya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alamin everything of his his life and his death and everything in between only for allah taala 
So that's where he belongs. And when this mu'min will truly develop this sense of belonging to Allah Ta'ala, then he doesn't need anything else around him. But when this is missing, and to the extent that he's missing, then he'll want to fit himself somewhere or the other. Now it might be his good fortune that he ends up in such company where the people in that company are those who already have a sense of belonging to Allah Ta'ala and he gets inclined to that company then he'll find himself also moving in that direction. And supposing he ends up in a group and he feels inclined to people of a certain group who have a certain type of lifestyle then he'll want to fit in. And even if some of the things he doesn't feel pleasant about. He doesn't feel happy doing it. But he'll want to fit himself in. And despite not wanting to do certain things, he will do it. Just so that he is not left out of the group. One person went to live in one village. This is perhaps just a story for the moral. I haven't verified the source to find out how authentic it is. One person went in one village... And when he reached there, he found a very strange thing. That everybody in that village, a very remote area, everybody in that village had the tips of their nose cut off. Now he found this very strange. Now he went there as a normal person. Everybody else has got the tips of their nose cut off. And his nose is normal. But now when he came there, everybody started looking at him very strangely. But look at this fellow, where he fell from. Look at his nose. So one day went, two days went, and now each time that he's passing somebody, they are looking at him with very strange looks, and they are nudging one another. Look at this fellow's nose. So after a few days, he had to remain there. So after a few days, he decided, how long I'm going to carry on like this? So he went and chopped his nose off as well. Because he wanted to become, in inverted commas, normal. What was abnormal, now became normal. And who was normal, looked out of place. This is exactly what happens when a person wants to belong. Then even if it's abnormal, he'll cut his nose off to become the so-called normal in that group and fit himself therein. And this is what brings us to our topic, the aspect of culture. What is culture? What is culture? In all definitions, culture is a complete way of life. Complete way of life, that's culture. Somebody's way of life is something, somebody's way of life is something else. The way of life is the person's culture. For a mu'min, his culture is the Quran and Sunnah. Somebody's culture, the Rastafarians, their culture is smoking dakha. It's part of the culture, they call it religious part of their lives. Somebody's culture is something, somebody's culture is something. It's a way of life. But then what happens is sometimes, when different cultures meet, 
in one place, there are people of different cultures living side by side. Then what happens is, the process, what they call the process of enculturation takes place. Big, big words we don't have to worry about. The simple story is that people from one culture start learning things, borrowing things from another culture. And sometimes, this borrowing, though it happens sometimes both ways, in many instances it is completely one-sided. And in some instances to such an extent that people of one culture get totally absorbed. The process of assimilation. They get totally absorbed in the next culture. Nothing remains of their own identity. Perhaps we may not be so, it may not be so easy for us to understand this, but those who have traveled the world and they've gone to those places where Muslims migrated from their lands and went to many western countries for the purpose of earning their livelihood. And there were a dozen or so, a few dozen families scattered within the entire population and a few generations down there's no sign of where these people came from, who they are, apart from their names. Nothing. Completely gone. This aspect of completely losing track with one's own culture, just one example. Some years back, once one Jamaat of youngsters from one of the suburbs of Durban, some youngsters were encouraged and for the first time some of them decided, okay, I will go for three days. So they went to a, another locality. So they went sometime during the morning. By the evening, Amir noticed one of them is looking quite disturbed. He's not looking normal. So he asked him, is something bothering you, something troubling you? He says, no, nothing, no problem. Very well. The next day he sees this fellow is now really in a problem. Something is troubling him. And he seems to be like a fish out of water. Called him aside and said, what's the problem? Is something bothering you? You really seem to be troubled with something. You can try and sort out the problem. So he then says, well, I actually want to go to the toilet. Are a 16-year-old, sure nobody has to take you to the toilet. So he says, well, I just can't use the toilet. What is wrong with the toilet? So he says that, I have never used this toilet, this, this squat pan in my life. I don't know how to use it. Now from the time that man came on earth, the only natural way that he relieved himself was in the squatting position. That was a natural way that has ever come down since man came on earth. Here the person is 16 years old, he doesn't know how to relieve himself in the natural manner. Because the western manner has taken over his life in that particular aspect. The aspect of assimilation. In one aspect, that person's life was already gone in that direction. So sometimes this assimilation in one thing, two things, half a dozen things, until the person doesn't know what was the original thing. That natural manner of life is also lost. And the unnatural manner, the alien way, that becomes his way of life. As far as this is concerned, 
this enculturation we are talking about, this assimilation that we are talking about, one culture becoming absorbed, or the borrowing of traits and ways of life from a different culture, why does this happen? By Western definitions, this is by Western definitions, this borrowing from different cultures happens, and this is the frightening part. This is the part that sends a chill down the spine of a mu'min. That this borrowing from different cultures takes place when people of one culture regard the things of the other culture as better. So a person has given up something from his culture and when you bring it down to a mu'min, what was his culture? The Quran and Sunnah. He gave up something from the Sunnah gave up something from the way of life of a mu'min and borrowed something from a foreign culture whether he accepts it or not because he regarded it as better. There's a survey that was done by Western researchers where they interviewed a few hundred people and the first question they asked them that are you influenced by celebrities? Are you influenced by all these various pop stars and whatever, the immediate answer was no ways. And then slowly, in various questions, the answers that came out of those questions, the answers of those questions contradicted the original, the first answer. The first answer was no ways, how will I ever be influenced by these people? But as the questions came in a very subtle way, and the person spoke about his own life, what he does, how he thinks, what, he, what his reactions are to various things in life, those answers contradicted his negation and his denial. So here also you ask the person that are you leaving this aspect of sunnat, are you leaving this aspect of deen and borrowing the foreign thing because you regard it as better? They say never. Impossible. But the action is speaking something else. There's one billboard which I saw somewhere which was advertising a shoe and the words on that billboard is that say more, speak less. Well, fine, that is the advertising a shoe and the simple story behind that message is that if you wear the shoe and you buy the shoe and wear it, then you might not be speaking much, but you are saying something. You are saying much more. That I am in style. I am with the trend. I am one above, whatever the case may be. Whatever the purposes of that slogan might be for that advert, but the statement is correct. That there are many things in life which we don't speak, but we say a lot. A person who has adopted some form of dress, he's not speaking anything, but that dress is saying something. It's making a statement. What are his preferences? What are his likes and dislikes? What is his mindset? What does he feel inclined towards? All these things are being said without being spoken. So this aspect is the frightening aspect. And we have to consider this aspect in the light of one ayat of the Quran Kareem. Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu may yartadda minkum an deeni. O you who believe. This is addressed to O you who believe. But primarily it was addressed to the munafiqeen. Because they pretended to be believers. So the Quran said, oh you believe, 
Whosoever from among you reneges from his deen, gives up his deen. Allah Ta'ala says, I have no need for you. You don't harm me in the least bit. Allah Ta'ala will soon bring a band of people. Allah Ta'ala will love them and they will love Allah Ta'ala. Azillatan ala al-mu'mineen, izzatan ala al-kafirin. And the qualities that these people will possess, they will be very lenient with the believers and very hard against the disbelievers. Yujahiduna fi sabilillah wa la yakhafuna lawmata la'ib. And they will strive in the way of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala and they will not be concerned about the rebuke of those who rebuke them. Now this is addressed to the munafiqeen about leaving deen. How does this fit into our discussion? The very great scholar of this century, a very, very great personality of our time, of the recent past, Hazrat Mawlana Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah he wrote a book titled Riddatun Wala Aba Bakrin Laha. Riddatun Wala Aba Bakrin Laha. That there is a kind of reneging taking place. A flood of people leaving the true way of deen. And there is no Abu Bakr to stand in the way of this flood. And this title is actually taken from that incident where after the demise of Rasulullah many of the tribes outside Bandilat al of the Bedouins, they reneged. Because they, many of those tribes had merely come into Islam just outwardly. So they reneged. And some of them had come genuinely, but they suddenly gave, decided not to give zakat. Abu Bakr announced, we'll wait jihad against them. The Sahaba said that, no, hold on. There's a very sensitive situation here. Madinat al is under threat. It could be attacked from all sides. We must sit here, wait here and defend Madinat al This is not the time now to go out and fight against these murtaddin, these people who have reneged. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu also came and presented the same suggestion. Abu Bakr became extremely annoyed. And he forcefully hits Umar radiallahu in his chest. And he says, Jabbarun fil jahiliya wa khawwarun fil Islam. But you are a very mighty person in the times of ignorance. And now in Islam you have become a coward. He says, never. I will go alone and fight them if nobody comes. And then the Sahaba realized the importance of what Abu Bakr is saying, the urgency of the matter. They also understood the importance of it. But the immediate urgency that this reneging from Islam cannot be tolerated for one moment. That has to be checked immediately. And he stood in the, in the way of that flood and turned the tide. And this is what Hazrat Abu Hassan Ali Nadir Ali states. Riddatun wala Abu Bakrin laha. There is a flood of this reneging. There is no Abu Bakr standing in his way. And then he explains. See, one is the reneging where that happened. person said, please don't come to me anymore. Like unfortunately happens even up to this day. Sometimes the Jamaat knocks on somebody's door. Says, you shall come yesterday. Last night I became a Christian. So one is that level, the worst form of it. But then he says there's another level. 
الارتداد الذهني the person with his tongue he proclaims the kalima in his heart he has iman as well he performs his salah five times a day he gives his zakat he fasts in the month of ramadan he goes for hajj and umrah and he does many other things of deen but his mind is not prepared to accept certain aspects of deen and prefer that and instead of that he prefers something from a foreign culture something that is alien to Islam and he gives preference to that he has reneged in his mind in those aspects of deen and he says this is the flood of reneging that is taking place riddatun wala aba bakrin laha but unfortunately there is no Abu Bakr standing in his way and this ayat applies Allah Ta'ala is addressing even such people addressing us because if we look in our minds sometimes it might come to the aspect of perhaps when there is a wedding in the family now what is the preference how do we go about it the culture of Rasulullah or the culture of the West sometimes it's a business matter sometimes it's some other social aspects what is given preference to riddatun wala aba bakrin laha there is this irtidad, this reneging in the mind. There is no Abu Bakr standing in his way. So this is a very, very dangerous thing. And this is what is being referred to in this ayat. That those, Allah Ta'ala is addressing us, Those who will renege, whether it is just in certain aspects in their minds. Allah Ta'ala has no need for us. فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ يُحِبُّهُمَّ يُحِبُّونَهُ Allah Ta'ala will bring about such people whom Allah Ta'ala will love. They will love Allah Ta'ala. And yujahidun adillatan ala al-mu'minin a'izzatan ala al-kafirin yujahidun fi sabilillah. They will strive in the way of Allah Ta'ala to uphold and maintain the culture of the Quran and Sunnah in its pristine purity. وَلَا يَخَافُونَ لَوْمَةَ لَائِمْ Normally the striving and jihad takes place with the forces without, outside. And wala yakhafun alaumatalaim, the rebuke, the rebuke happens from within. A person wants to uphold the culture of hijab in his home. And he comes home, and these are not just hypothetical situations, these are real life situations that I'm referring to. A person comes home, he has become encouraged, he has spent some time in the company of the Ahlullah, or has gone out in Jamaat, or he has heard some talk of deen in the masjid and it has spurred him and he has realized that this is not the way that things are supposed to be. He comes home and he says that now I'm going to adopt the laws of hijab and adopt parda and I will not be freely intermingling with my sister-in-laws and various other relatives with whom I should not have any kind of free contact. And then that father who is a five times musalli suddenly says that what you are up to you want to create disunity in the family? That nose that was chopped off, one person came with a normal nose, now he is looking strange. So now he must chop his nose off as well. Then he'll look normal. What was the culture of the Quran and Sunnah? That was abandoned. So the alien thing became like normal. Now one person wants to uphold the Quran and Sunnah, he is looking like alien. So this rebuke sometimes comes from within, 
and from the forces without is this mujahada and jihad. But this band of people, yujahiduna fi sabilillah wa la yakhafuna lawmatalaim. They will strive in upholding the Quran and Sunnah and the culture of the Quran and Sunnah and the rebuke of those who rebuke them will not deter them in the least. This is the grace of Allah Ta'ala He grants to whosoever He wishes. That Allah Ta'ala enables a person to remain steadfast. As far as this culture is concerned, if you look in the lives of the Sahaba, in fact the Quran and the Sunnah first and foremost, to what extent it emphasizes this? Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran Kareem, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tatawallaw qawman ghadiballahu alayhim ma hum minkum wa la minhum O you who believe do not take as bosom friends qawman ghadiballahu alayhim those people who's upon whom the anger of Allah Ta'ala has come the Yahud, the Nasara and the Kuffar in general ma hum minkum wa la minhum you are not among them they are not among you now why must you not have this kind of bosom friendship? Al-mar'u ala dini khalili Fal-yanjur ahadukum may yukhalil Nabi Islam says a person goes onto the creed, onto the culture of his friend. So beware of who you befriend. In the hadith Nabi Islam says Man tashabbaha biqawmin fahuwa minhum When this bosom friendship will take place then the assimilation of cultures will take place. When the assimilation of cultures will take place one person will resemble the other, you won't be able to make the difference out to. The one who resembles a nation, he is counted as among them. This resemblance is even forbidden between men and women, even who are a person, his own sister, she has iman, but she is a woman, he is not supposed to resemble her in his way of dressing, in other day-to-day simple things, in things which a male is distinguished from a female. Where would it be permissible for him to resemble somebody who doesn't even have iman? But this assimilation of cultures takes place. First that all those distinguishing factors are all destroyed. You can't distinguish a man from a woman. One person was sitting somewhere in a park and some children were playing. So now he's looking at one particular child, but the way the child is dressed now, he's thinking aloud. Saying, yeah, larka hai ya larki hai. He is not sure, he is looking, can't make out the difference. But now he just started thinking aloud, larka hai ya larki hai. So somebody who was close by turned around in some annoyance and said, Pata nahi chalta hai tumhe, nazar nahi raha hai ki ye larki hai. So he turned around, the person is saying, can't you see it's a girl? So he turned around and he saw now the person seemed to be the parent. So he said, Maaf ki jai, mujhe malum nahi tha ki aap uske walid hai. Please forgive me, I didn't know you the father. He said, Arre, bewakuf me uski walida ho. He said, oh fool, I'm his mother, not his father. You can't make out the difference between the son and the daughter, or between the husband and wife also. The assimilation, completely destroying all the distinguishing barriers between male and female, between mu'min and kafir. You have no idea whether you should make salam to the person or whether you should just walk away quietly. This assimilation of cultures destroys all this identity. Then the person has no identity. When he has no identity, he in reality finally ends up in that direction where he becomes of the other culture. In every aspect. 
the Sahaba, how they preserved the culture, how strongly, just two very famous examples, which we have heard over and over again. Hadat Huzaifa bin Yaman, or perhaps it was another Sahabi, he is in the court of the Persians, and he's eating, and a morsel falls down from his hand. And the person next to him says that, and he's about to pick it up and eat it. The person next to him says that, no, don't do this. This is against the etiquette of these people. Against their culture. So in other words, according to the example we have been taking all along, you must cut your nose also now. But what was his immediate response? أَأَتْرُكُ سُنَّةَ حَبِيبِي لِهَاؤُلَاءِ In the month of Rabi al we discuss Sirat. This is the message of Sirat. This is the lesson of Sirat. That he says, أَأَتْرُكُ سُنَّةَ حَبِيبِي لِهَاؤُلَاءِ Must I leave the culture? Must I leave the culture of my beloved Nabi Wasallam for these fools? If their noses are cut, let it be cut. Must I become abnormal if others are abnormal? Hazrat Usman Ghani radiallahu ta'ala anhu Nabi Wasallam sends him to negotiate with the Quraysh when he was prevented from the Quraysh by, from entering into Makkah al-Mukarramah when he went for Umrah. So Nabi Wasallam camped at Hudaybiyah and sent Hazrat Usman Ghani radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he went into Makkah al-Mukarramah and he stayed the night with his cousin who was among the Quraysh at that time still there in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And the next morning now he is proceeding to go and negotiate with the Quraysh. With the leaders of the Quraysh. So his cousin looks at him and he says to him that you see your izar, your lungi, your lower garment is too high up. It was in emulation of the way of Nabi Wasallam, halfway between his, on his shin, in the middle of his shin. So he told him this is not the way that these people like it to be. So you should lower it, they lower it well below the ankles, this is how you should go, they will, you will fit in among them, this is basically what was the message behind it. So they will probably take to you more favorably. Hazrat Rasman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, without a moment of hesitation, what does he say to him? La ha kaza izratu sahibina sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Never. No, I will not do this. This is how our companion, meaning our master, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, he keeps his izar and his lower garment, this is how I will do it. It doesn't bother me what these people do. This is our culture. What is their culture doesn't bother us. So this is our culture, this is what we have to maintain. But, there is an active effort that is being made. A very concerted effort to destroy this culture of the, of the Muslims, the culture of Islam. And this is no conspiracy theory. This is not the figment of somebody's imagination. Look at the articles that are coming out from time to time. The internet is a two-edged sword, so we don't normally encourage it, but a person who is surfing the internet should surf the internet and see these kind of articles, what's going on. And one will find there is an active process being put into place. And the target time is 2010 to 2025 for a dramatic cultural change. And among the various things that are being spoken about 
is the unbending process. There's an article titled, Prospects for Cultural Change. And the most difficult part of the cultural change that they talk about is the unbending process. Unbending process meaning that a person is already into one culture. How do you remove him from there? What is the process that must be employed in order to make him leave his culture and adopt the other culture that is being put forward to him? And there are four stages that are mentioned. There's too many details in there. And the crux of it is, in the various stages, that the most difficult part is to get a person to understand that the non-material factors, these all words that are being used there, are not untouchable. What are these non-material factors? This is the crux of it. And they give the details of it. Various big, big size words, ten letter words, paradigms and mental maps and whatever. And in there they talk about beliefs, customs, way of life. In the initial stage they say that a person will feel that this is holy. It is something that is sacred, cannot be touched. Through the processes, he will understand that this too can be disregarded. He will understand that this too is something that can be abandoned. When those stages and processes come through, the time will come that way in stage one, he would regard it as totally untouchable. He would not be prepared to think about it. By the time stage four comes, he will be ready to learn what is else in place of this. And there was one article which seemed like the thing that I was looking for, which was the factors that, the most influential factors in cultural change and how to bring it into motion. But when I went into that link, you needed a membership to be able to access the article. The membership was only $40,000 a year. So, that's where it stopped. But that gives us a big message. Who has $40,000 a year to access this? People who have an agenda, a very, very serious agenda. And they have $40,000 a year to access these kind of things. So this is not something haphazard. These things will happen. Time is limited. We already have passed the time. But how does this happen? Just one or two things. How will this be done? There's various things. Just one thing. Celebrities will be created. Celebrities will be created because the mass mindset, again, sense of belonging, they want to follow something, but they don't have the direction. So a celebrity will be created. Miss so-and-so, whatever the case is. But now that celebrity will be contracted for one year. The person has become a celebrity, the whole world knows the person. Now you'll be contracted for one year. You'll get all the money in the world, no problem. But now you'll do as we say. Though it's not said in such crude terms. But now you will dress what we give you to wear. You will wear what we give you. You will say the kind of speeches that we ask you to give. And now the masses are waiting for something from this person because they look up to that celebrity. So that fashion that they want, the immorality of that fashion will be put onto that person. Where that fashion, whether it pertains to clothing, where the bottom line of western Clothing senses, it must keep becoming tighter, shorter, more revealing. That is where it's going. But unfortunately, look at the enculturation that has happened in our community. Where sometimes a Muslim woman is wearing that kind of garment, which 
a non-Muslim woman would have been ashamed to wear 25 years, 30 years ago. But he's being worn without any problem. Nobody is blinking an eye. So it'll happen by means of these celebrities. It'll happen by means of the communication explosion. This is one of the aspects spoken about in that article. By means of mass communication. And by the media, in whichever form, those magazines, over and over again the person is seeing the same kind of thing. This culture happens, it must exist in two places for it to become a reality. First it appears in the environment, in the form of some, they call it artifact, some item, or in the form of some behavior, and then it appears in the mind. The person sees it once, twice, ten times, it settles in the mind. Then slowly the mind accepts it. When the mind accepts it, then the person brings it into his system of life. So first it appeared outside, 20 times the person saw it, the person was first hesitant, then he warmed up to the idea, after he warmed up to the idea, then he saw it, somebody around him is doing the same thing, then he takes the courage and takes the first step, because it now settles in his mind. And this continues. So this unbending process they are putting into place. And, as we said, this was the diagnosis that this is happening. And if you look around, nobody will deny that this enculturation has happened all over the place. In our homes, in our communities, in our businesses, and wherever we name it. But now is the time, Riddatun wala Aba Bakrin laha, that this flood of religion is taking place. This enculturation is taking place because something from the alien culture is being regarded as better. This is the riddatun wala Aba Bakrin la. That nobody is standing in the way of it. Those novels, those magazines, you say, well, what's wrong in this? There's a mindset being created. The mindset of immorality. The mindset of vice. The mindset of disrespect. The mindset of disregarding parents. This is a mindset that has been created. Look at the western way of life. And what has happened in that society, and the same things that are creeping into our society. One person was traveling in a plane. There's many details, but time again is very limited. One person was traveling in a plane, and he was seated next to a couple. Started talking to them, and in the process of the discussion, he asked them, How many children do you have, or do you have any children? So they almost spontaneously replied, that we plan on having a dog. So this person was astounded at the reply. You know, are we on the same planet or what are we talking about? So he said, aren't you planning to have any children? He said, well actually the times that we are living in, a dog is more loyal than a child. A dog is more loyal than a child. But from the society that they come in, this is very true sometimes. And there is one real life incident which happened in America, which made the news as well, where one mother brought up a case against her son, that this is my son, he has a dog, and he cares for this dog of his, he looks after it, he spends time with it, he will be bathing it and grooming it and taking it for walks and whatever the case is, he spends hours with this dog of his, I am a lone person in the house with him, but he doesn't spend one, one minute with me as well. I am now demanding that he must spend some time with me also. He gives so much of time to his dog, he must give time to me as well. 
the son defended the case. I am an adult. I have my freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of association. This is my culture. So I cannot be forced to spend time here or there. It's my choice. The case was heard and the judgment was passed, the judgment of that culture. That as far as this person is concerned, the dog belongs to him, the dog has needs, the dog has requirements, he is responsible for the dog. He must fulfill those needs. He must see to it that he cares for the dog and he fulfills the requirements of that dog. As far as his mother is concerned, he is an adult, he is a free person, he cannot be forced to spend time with his mother. That dog has rights, but his mother has no rights. That mother who bore him, that mother who spent those sleepless nights with him, that mother who undertook all the difficulty for him, that mother has no rights. He doesn't have to spend any time with that mother. But that dog, that has rights. Indeed, even animals have rights. And to mistreat an animal also is wrong. But that mother, this is the culture, this is the culture that is creeping in. By those same media, by that same television, by those videos, by those various cartoons we call them. The cartoons which the very makers of those cartoons, they say that cartoons such as Dennis the Menace make, give the message that to be rude is cute. That's where they're getting the message from. Then the parent wants to know why is this child rude? Where does this culture of rudeness come from? It comes from what we provided to the child. So this culture is, this enculturation is taking place. This reneging is taking place in our minds. And riddatun wala aba bakrin laha, there is no Abu Bakr standing in his way. We have to now become the Abu Bakrs in our homes. And we have to become that band of people. That band of people whom Allah Ta'ala will love and they will love Allah wa Ta'ala. Adillatan ala al-mu'minina, izzatan ala al-kafirin. Lenient on the believers, hard on the disbelievers. Yujahiduna fi sabirillah. They will strive in the path of this enculturation, in the, against this path of enculturation. They will strive against this culture that is sweeping us. And they will uphold the culture of the Quran and Sunnah. And they will not fear the rebuke of those who rebuke them. Yes, they will adopt Al-Hikmah wal al Hasana. They will adopt the manner of wisdom and good counseling. But they will not be deterred by anybody who rebukes them. This is something which we have to take note about. As we said earlier, this is merely the diagnosis. The, in medical terms, they call it broad spectrum antibiotics. The simple broad spectrum solution to the whole thing is deen. We have to come back 100% onto the culture of the Quran and Sunnah. And the process of that is that we start bringing one one sunnah alive in our homes. We have talim in our homes. Discuss the sunnahs of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Daily one sunnah in the year, 360 sunnahs would have brought alive. And when that sunnah will come alive, then the batil will go, قُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ When the haq will come first, when the light will come first, then the darkness will go. Before the light comes, the darkness won't go. Bring the haq into our homes first. Bring the sunnah alive first, the batil will start disappearing on its own. Bring the culture of the Quran and sunnah alive in our homes first, and automatically the culture of the enemies of Allah wa will start leaving our homes. 
But the important thing is, first and foremost, we have to create that mindset. That this is something that we have to do. That we have to bring in the culture of the Quran and Sunnah and abandon this culture enculturation that is sweeping us and become conscious of that zehni irtidad. That to what extent are we guilty of it? And how urgent it is that we remove ourselves from that group. Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala has perfected deen for us. Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa raditu lakum al-islam deena. Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala has chosen Islam for us as our culture. We don't need anything else. So this is what we have to take fully, the culture of the Quran and Sunnah, and bring into our lives. There are many other aspects that we're for discussion here, but we have well passed the time. Inshallah, this too, if it brings in some consciousness in our heart, this too is sufficient. May Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq of completely adopting the culture of the Quran and Sunnah in everything of our lives and abandoning the culture of all those who are away from Islam. May Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد واصحابه بارك وسلم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنه وفي الاخره حسنه وقنا عذاب النار ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قرة اعين واجعلنا للمتقين اماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الابرار ربنا واتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامه انك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم ثبتنا على الإيمان وأمتنا على الإيمان واحشرنا يوم القيامة مع الإيمان يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على دينك يا مصرف القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على طاعتك اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وأصحاب جمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين